Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Praise God. Ian and I are here, ready to share the word of God with you. It's a privilege and an honor for Calvary Apostolic Ministries to share God's holy word. We're beginning a new topic. Probably it will be of three videos. The title being, Passionately Pursuing Christ. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And we thank God that you are at work in the body of Christ. God, the Spirit, is molding and shaping your people to your very purpose, O oh God. And I pray, Father, even as we speak about the purpose of God for every child of God, we pray for clarity and also for the anointing. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn to the scripture. Romans chapter 8, reading verse 28 and 29. The King James Version. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. As Christians, and may I add more so ministers of the gospel, just what is it that motivates us? What is it that drives us? What is it that compels us? Are we propelled towards success? Is being recognized by our peers, our heart's cry? Or is it our so-called vision that grips our heart, soul and spirit? How many of us desire to have a 20,000 seated church building filled to capacity with congregants? An old age home perhaps for our aged congregants, a youth camp, an international ministry? Do we want to make our mark on society? Surely most ministers of the gospel will admit they always wanted to be successful in the ministry. Surely there's a cry within many of us to be recognized as mighty men of God. How often, as men of God, have we imagined ourselves as another Billy Graham or even John G. Lake? Praise God! Over the years, those wishful sentiments have changed with some of us, and I do believe for the better. Many of God's preachers are no more motivated by the yearning for success. Bless the Lord! Some of us are no more seeking after recognition by our peers. Praise God, no more do we desire to be copycats of the renowned men of God in our day. Like David, we have taken off the armor of Saul by the wonderful grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. We are discovering our true purpose in life. No more do we strive for success in the ministry. Rather, it is to hear the commendation of our Lord and Savior. Well done, my good and faithful servant. 
Over the years, God has convinced many of his servants that success is not determined by how many people get saved under our ministries. Success is not determined by the accolades of our peers. Success is not achieved by how many women and men we have trained for the ministry. Success is not in how many countries we have ministered or how many international websites we have or how many books we have written. What then tantamounts to success? Many, one of the many spiritual ingredients that produces a God-centered ministry and even in life's journey is being faithful. Success and faithfulness are poles apart. Let me cite a biblical example. Projecting Noah into our modern-day church environment tells me that Noah in our day will be rejected. Noah will be viewed as a failure by many of uh, uh, today's ministers. It took Noah 120 long years to build the ark and sadly, not one person outside of his family entered into the ark. Imagine preaching of impending judgment for 120 years and no one gets saved. If that was probably you and I, we would have given up. Not Noah. He was a man of faith. And when you are a man of faith, you are faithful to your commitment. Only Noah's family entered the ark of safety. And one of the important lessons I've gained from Noah is simply, what does it profit a servant of God? If he saves the whole world and suffers the loss of his own family. To preach for 120 years without results takes persistent faith. Let me reiterate that. To preach for 120 years without results takes persistent faith. Let me give you the acronym. F-A-I-T-H. Faith activates inspired trust and hope. And by the way, I'm the author. By the way, it's one thing to have faith in Almighty God. But it is another thing for Almighty God to have faith in us. That also needs to be repeated. It is one thing to have faith in Almighty God. But it is another thing for Almighty God to have faith in us. Once again, the acronym for faith. F-A-I-T-H. Forsaken all I trust Him. We so glibly use this that we have faith in God. But don't you long, don't you long to hear that God has faith in you, in Him and in her? Faithfulness is not conditioned nor controlled by success. Another important lesson I've learned from Noah being faithful is simply doing what God has called you to do and leaving the results with God. There are those given times that we seek recognition from our peers. Praise God, many of us are learning that it's better to be known in the courts of God than, be, than to be known in the courts of men. Also needs to be repeated. It's far better to be known in the courts of God than to be known in the courts of men. The words of Almighty God 
Have you considered my servant Job? Not only did Job have faith in God, Almighty God also had faith in Job. Many of us are consumed by our so-called personal vision. Oh yes, we validate our vision quoting the scripture with our vision the people perish. What I'm about to say may not, may not go down well. There can only be one vision in the house. In fact, there can only be one vision in the entire body of Christ. The one vision in the body of Christ is not my vision, nor, you, nor your vision. It is God's vision. There is one central theme throughout the Old and New Testament, and that being how God brings two estranged parties together, and that being mankind back to himself. The key verse of the Bible being John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Allow me the privilege of illustrating my point, to drive home my point. In my young days, I was a carpenter, and to build a table, a chair, or whatever, the means, or shall I say, the tools used to build was the hammer, the saw, the plane, etc. We, the servants of God, of God, are the very means, the tools that Almighty God uses to bring about His vision, and that is why we all have different gifts. Although what I have said, just said, is true, I'm of the persuasion that in order to be effective for God, we have to discover what is meant to be our particular role in God's vision. It is true that without a vision, God's people perish. We, we cannot meander along life's journey aimlessly. We must know where we are going and what are the means God has made available for us to reach our role in God's ordained vision. Let me assure ourselves that our peculiar ministries, though vitally important, are not the ultimate vision. However, our ministries flow from endeavoring by all means made available to us by God to complete God's vision entrusted to us. God's vision must become our vision. To comprehend and to embrace the vision, we need to remind ourselves of the creation of man. Man was created in the image and likeness of God. God formed man from the dust of the ground, of the ground and breathed into Adam the breath of life. God gave his prized creation the kiss of life which was so much more than the impartation of life. It was nothing less than an impartation of God himself into the lifeless form of Adam. Note carefully, God said it was good after creating the heavens, the earth, and the animals. However, after creating man, God said it was very good for the mere fact only man was inbreathed by God. Only man reflected the image and likeness of God. Wow! The kiss of life was an importation of God into man. Beholding his creation before him, 
it, it was as if God was looking into a mirror. For that which was breathed into Adam was the very nature and character of God. God who is holy, inbreathed his holy nature into Adam. God who is love, breathed into Adam his loving nature. God who is eternal, breathed eternity into Adam. The very character, the very essence, the very nature of God was imparted into man. Yes, Adam had a beginning, but let me assure us, he has no end. He, like his creator, is now without end. Because of sin, the nature of God in man was lost and is lost. Man became evil. Love turned to hate. The holy nature became evil. The image of God was distorted because of sin. God's vision for mankind is twofold. First and foremost, that all men be saved. Secondly, the image and likeness lost because of Adam and Eve's sin be restored to all the born-again children of God. The image and likeness of God must return to mankind, for this is the ultimate vision of visions, the restoration of man back to God in the very form that God had initially created him. Praise God. Many of us have discovered the ultimate vision for our life recorded in Romans 8, 29 and Romans 12, 2. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God in eternity designed man to be created in the image and likeness of his only begotten son. This is to become our vision, our driving force, our constant motivation, for this is God's vision for each one of us. And let me categorically add that it is possible for God through His grace and power of the Holy Spirit to conform us to His Son who has given us the way with all. No doubt there are many of us who think it is impossible. Many say we will only be like Christ when the rapture takes place. Note the scripture. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. I and many others are of the firm belief that many will agree with me that it is possible to become like Jesus in the now. What does the Bible say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm almost certain that like me, you are sick and tired of being yourselves. What we see in the mirror is distorted. We long for perfection. We long for a sinless life. We long to be gracious, gentle and kind. We long to treat others the way our Heavenly Father treats us. 
We long to forgive those who have over the years dragged our names through the cesspools. Oh, that we might echo the words of our Savior. Savior. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We can become like Jesus. We can be restored to the image and likeness of the Son of God. It can happen. It must happen. We can be restored to the image and likeness of our, of our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. However, we must set aside the mundane affairs and passionately pursue Christ. How are we going to do it? How are we going to become like Christ? In the next few weeks, I will deal with how we can become like Christ. We must pursue Him. We must hunger and yearn, not only after His, his person, not only after His presence. We must yearn for Him. We must have an intimate, personal relationship with Him. By the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, I've developed a method of preaching and teaching. What it is simply, after ministering the Word of God, I lay emphasis on spiritual application. And what I mean simply by that is this, that what we've studied, what we've heard, what we've read, we've got to begin to apply it. In other words, we don't just study God's Word for knowledge. We don't just study God's Word to preach or to share. We study God's Word to apply it to our daily walk. That even as we walk amongst men, amongst the unsaved, and even amongst the church members, they've got to see the Christ in us. So I'm going to re uh, 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 mention a few spiritual applications that you and I must make every endeavor to apply to our daily walk among men and before God. Spiritual application number one. For our ministries to be effective, our concentration should be focused on our Christian character. For the simple fact, action speaks louder than words. A truth was told about Mother Teresa. There had been some visitors visiting, visiting her, her, her ministry and she showed them around and all that. And then she picked up a, a little girl that was on the road and she hugged the girl and kissed the girl. And the girl was dirty. The little child was, was dirty. And then the minister said to the other minister that were visiting, now that is a ministry. That is preaching. So... We've got to bear in mind that our concentration must be on a Christ-like exhibition, genuinely expressing Christ as we love humanity. Spiritual application number two. As ministers of the gospel, we at all times must bear in mind and in spirit that we act under the authority of the head of the body of Christ, namely Jesus Christ. We represent Christ and therefore it is essential that our lifestyle lines up with our preaching of the gospel. We are ambassadors of Christ and our words must line up with godly action. Not only that, what we've got to realize is this. 
we've been mandated, given commands, and that which we say, that which we do, must line up with our mission. We cannot say anything outside of our mission. We've got to keep to the word. Amen. And we've got to live up to the word at all times. Another spiritual application. Our prime purpose of studying the word of God is to become a living epistle read and known by all men. In simple terms, just as Jesus was the word made flesh, so must we become the living word. Hear the word of the Lord. Do we begin again to command ourselves or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistles written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as he manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tab, tab, tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. I love the book of Esther. And by the way, Esther means uh, the star of the East. But the surprising thing about the book of Esther is that the name of God does not appear. That's strange. If the, if the revelation of the word is to declare God the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Spirit. And in one of the main books in the, in the Old Testament, Esther does not even mention the name of God. But wait, the remarkable fact of the book of Esther, and more so Esther, she was a living epistle. Let me explain it this way. Way back years ago, seamen and mariners, they never had compasses and all this modern technology that plots your course and all that type of thing. They traveled from one point to the other point by watching the stars. And they, they, they studied the stars and, and as they would travel, they would look up to the sky and see the particular stars and they would know where they are. Now, Esther, the book thereof, has not got the name of God. But you know what? Esther means the star of the east. And we, if we look to Esther and follow her as a star, as an example, as a living epistle, she will lead us to the most high God. So it's wonderful. And what I'm simply saying is this. Very often, there's no need for you and I to preach or to witness, though we are called to do that. But sometimes, our very action, our very attitude towards people and even to God, though we will not speak of him at a particular time, people will see a Christ-like nature in us. And because what they see satisfies him and place a desire in the heart to follow us. And as they follow us, they will find the Christ. Amen. Another spiritual application. We become, or oh, the same one, we become living epistles of Jesus. No, it's a different one. <laughs> Sorry, this is a different application. We can become living epistles of Jesus as we die to ourselves. The flesh must constant, constantly be crucified. Apostle Paul emphatically emphasizes this death of self. 
Hear the word of the Lord. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul made up his mind that the life that he lives in the flesh, he lives it through Christ Jesus. For the simple fact, he has died to himself. He's died to his desires. He died to his fancies. He's put on Christ, the mind of Christ. His whole motivation is seeking and knowing Christ and expressing Christ. It's one thing to know someone, but it's another thing to fellowship with that someone. Amen. And then allow that person to shine through you. So when we attach ourselves to Christ and die to ourselves, Christ will be seen in you and I. Now, notice, Satan and his evil cohorts have earmarked us for destruction. It's their evil intention to strip us of all which pertains to Christ. And therefore, we have to earnestly resolve to submit to God and resist all that is contrary to the character of Jesus Christ. Let me say this. Paul says the life he lives in the flesh, he lives by Christ Jesus. Now, we are alive physically, spiritually, mentally. And what happens is this. Our flesh makes contact with the world, our surroundings. Our spirit makes contact with God. And when the devil who has earmarked us with destruction comes or sends his evil cohorts to bring us down, to lead us to sin, what we must realize is this. There's a method of conquering to overcome the temptation. And the Bible says, resist the devil. Yes, the Bible does say that. But you cannot resist the devil in your own power. Remember, we are here to present Christ. We are living epistles, read and known by all men. And for us to overcome sin, to resist the devil, that he might flee from us, first and foremost, we must submit to God. Amen? You've got to submit to God. Take that moment of temptation, knowing full well in your flesh, you are not able to conquer it. So what you do, you don't try in your own strength to resist the devil. You submit to God. You call for help. You quote the scripture. You pray in tongues. Amen. And I've learned over the years, and it's remarkable, that when we are faced with temptation, one of the best ways to, to face it is to run away from it. But another way to overcome temptation is to pray aloud. It's to pray in the spirit, to quote the scripture. And what happens is this. It's happened to me several times. Sometimes I haven't got the, the spiritual energy, the, the, the strength, the, the, the resolution to overcome. But as I pray, as I pray, my, and praise God, the Bible says God inhabits our praises. God inhabits our praises. Now, this is important. The word inhabit is to dwell among. It's to be with you. Amen. So if Christ comes in on the scene, when we are tempted by the devil to be led away from practicing God's word and performing evil, what you must realize is this. A miracle takes place. 
something weird happened, something wonderful that defies description. And that is God inhabits our praises. In other words, God comes in on the scene. Hallelujah. God comes in on the scene. And you know, and I know, that light and darkness cannot mix. And when God comes in the hour of temptation, he manifests himself in some peculiar way. And the light of his glory shines against Satan, who is dark, and he has to flee. Christ is our hope of glory. So temptation, uh, uh, we've got to fight it. We are epistles, read and known of all men. Another uh, spiritual application. To overcome temptation, I probably said it already. To overcome temptation, we must employ the word of God. We can only overcome temptation when we follow our Savior's example. When he was tempted in the wilderness, Jesus constantly used the word against Satan. See Matthew chapter 4. Romans chapter 6, verse 11 to 13, the King James Version gives us the threefold antidote that conquers temptation. And I believe this is a threefold cord that will always conquer temptation. You know, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, 8 to 12 speaks of a threefold cord. What I'm going to give you, or rather what Paul gives you in the scripture, is a threefold cord that will always conquer temptation, that you and I might remain as living epistles, read and known by all men that Christ might be seen us, seen in us. Listen to the scripture. And I will emphasize the three words. Likewise, reckon you also yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin but healed yourselves unto god as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto god wow now three words that stand out in the above scripture that i quoted or rather read are being reckoned reign and heal reckon means to consider reckon mean reckon means to make up your mind Reign means to control. It speaks of supremacy and it speaks about kingly power and authority. Heal means to succumb, to give way and to give in. Now, I paraphrase the scripture uh, 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 found in Romans chapter 6, 11, 13, using the explanations of the word, of the words, reckon, healed, and what was the other one? What was the other one? Old age. Reckon healed and boy, reckon and reign. Sorry, old age. <laughs> Praise God. So I've, I've inserted these words, their meanings, into the scripture. Likewise, consider making up your mind. You are dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore control and rule in your mortal body that you should obey in the last day of, neither do not give in to your members as instruments of unrighteousness, unrighteousness unto sin, 
but give yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto God. Amen. I trust that this, this teaching has been a blessing to you. I apologize for, for fumbling, but never mind. It's good. It shows you that I'm just human like you. God bless you. Have a lovely day. And Ian and Mrs. D sends their regards. God bless.